copy of God's word, let's turn together to Genesis chapter 47. There at the end of chapter 47. That's where we left off last time. As I mentioned there in those, uh, that first word on worship, which I write each week, um, we've entered into a section really after chapter 45 that you might call the denouement, the, the kind of tying up of loose ends in this first book on the Bible called Genesis. And so last time we saw we, a blessing section in which God blesses Jacob and Pharaoh and Egypt, but, but the blessing doesn't end, does it? We, we come again to God's good words here extended to Joseph uh, and then to Jacob's sons. And it reminds us that our God is good and gracious. That's the message you need to walk away with from this first book of the Bible. There's lots here, as we've seen. I trust you've seen how much theology and how much truth and how much practicality for Christian living is in this first book of the Bible. But if you walk away with anything, I hope you will walk away with a new appreciation for the fact your God is good and gracious. And I think you'll see it as he gives good words, not just to the, the characters in this story, but to us, as he continues to bless us and show his goodness to us. But in order to hear the word of God this morning, we need the help of God. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you as your people and we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, we pray, come, open our eyes of faith this morning that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text actually begins in chapter 47, verse 27, and extends to the end of chapter 49, but we'll only read a, a portion of that text. So let's start then in Genesis 47, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me... When I came from Padam to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrathah. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, 
Who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them near, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, but this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by, by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and you will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Thus far God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So at the end of every worship service, we have it. Uh, whether it's uh, during our morning, more kind of classical, more formal service, or tonight with Sunday evening praise, a more informal service. Inevitably, at the end of our services, the, pre the presiding minister will stretch out his hands and he will give you good words from God. We, we call those good words the benediction. John Calvin, when he, was, when he was trying to recover what a Reformed and Presbyterian worship service should look like, he stressed the importance of the benediction, of God getting the, the final word, and, and especially of using the Aaronic blessing, the blessing that comes through Aaron to the priests in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, Calvin wanted God's people to have God's name put upon them as, as God's parting blessing to his people as they left his presence from worship. And so Presbyterian Reform worship services generally conclude just that way, with, with the benediction, with those good words. We might be tempted to think that part of the service is, is more like a, like a wish, kind of like the Irish blessing. You know the Irish blessing, right? And may the road rise up to meet you, may the wind be always at your back, and may the sun shine warm on your face, may the rains fall soft upon your fields. Well, those are nice sentiments, but there's really not much to it. But that's not what a benediction really is. The benediction is more a declaration 
the Lord bless you and keep you. He really does. And he really will. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. You can count on that. That's going to happen. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. That's what God does. And so the, the benediction is, is more than a wish. It's more like a declaration of who God is and what God does for his people. But not only that, the benediction is God's word that comes through a representative. That's what happens in number six. Aaron, as the head of the priest, is to teach his sons, the, the Levites, that, that they're to, to give this benediction and to put God's name upon it. And at the end of God's instructions in number six, verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God's putting his name on his people to accomplish good things on their behalf. And this blessing comes through his representative. And why does God bless us? Why does God give this benediction? Is it because we're so good? Is it because we're so gracious? No, of course not. It's because he's so good. It's because he's so gracious that he wants to bless you with good words that will surely accomplish their purpose. Now, all of this is germane to this section here in Genesis, starting in chapter 47, verse 27, and extending to the end of chapter 49. We've already read this together. We know Jacob is dying. And as he is dying, he wants his parting words to his sons to be blessings, to be good words, to be benedictions. And, and these good words go to his sons and even to his grandsons. But but these things that Jacob is saying to Joseph and to Ephraim and Manasseh and the rest of the boys, they're more than wishes. Rather, Jacob here is functioning as God's representative through whom God intends to bless his people, giving each group the blessing appropriate to them. And so these good words, they're, they're not just good words then for Joseph and for Jacob's sons, they're, they're good words for us. They're instructive for us. Paul will say in Romans 15, all scripture is instructive and intended to give us hope. And, and that's certainly the case here, because here we see the character of our God, that he is good and gracious. And we see what it is that God desires to give us. When God gives good words and speaks benediction over us, what does he intend to do? What does he intend to give? I think we can see that a little bit in, in God's good words to, to Joseph. The section starts in chapter 47, verse 27, and goes all the way to the end of chapter 48, verse 22, the, the section that we read. And this section tells us that, that Jacob's family has made it to, to Egypt, but, but it tells us a little bit more. It actually tells us that these things that are happening are 17 years after Jacob and his sons have made their way from Palestine to Egypt. Now, 17 years, what does that mean? Well, that means the, the famine is over, right? I mean, when, when Joseph speaks to his brothers and tells them to bring his father and the rest of their families down to Egypt, he tells them what? There, there's five more years of the famine to come. But this is 17 years, so that means they've, it's actually 12 years past the famine. 12 years that perhaps that, that old memory of difficult times has faded away. And it's 12 years now 
of good times, perhaps. And now it's time for Jacob to die. And so he, he calls Joseph to him in order to bless him. And, and he does this blessing in two stages. The first stage you find in chapter 47, verses 29 to 31. This first stage, which we've already read, has to do with a, a present responsibility that, that Jacob is giving to Joseph. It, it has to do with his bones. It has to do with where he's going to be buried. It has to do with a funeral service. And he charges Joseph, don't bury me in Egypt. Take me back to Machpelah. Take me back to where uh, Abraham is buried and Isaac is buried and where I buried Leah. Take me back there. Don't bury me here. I, I want to make you swear to that. Will you swear to that, Joseph? And he swears. Now, what's going on? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, it was the responsibility of the firstborn to care for dying parents, both in terms of the funeral and what happens after. Not only was he in charge of making sure an appropriate funeral and mourning rituals were observed, but, but also was, we were responsible to take care of the graveside and to watch after the bones of ancestors. This responsibility should have been Reuben's responsibility as the firstborn, but as we've all seen, and we'll see it again even this morning, Jacob doesn't trust Reuben with good reason, right? Reuben slept with Jacob's concubine wife. And so, so the firstborn status has been taken from Reuben and has been given to Joseph, the 11th born. And he blesses Joseph by giving him this, this responsibility, this present responsibility that attaches to being a firstborn son. But these words, they're not just Jacob's words to Joseph, giving him this present responsibility. They're God's words. And they're actually honoring Jacob because Jacob had dealt well with his responsibilities ever since he was 17 years old, right? When we first meet Joseph, he's wearing a symbol of authority coat. His father has cast him as an overseer over his brothers. And then he has responsibility in, in Potiphar's house as a slave. And then he has responsibility in the jail. And now he has responsibility as the prime minister of Egypt. But, but perhaps this is the most important responsibility he could be given. To care well for his father. And to assume the responsibilities of the firstborn. This is God's way of encouraging Joseph. Just as you've been faithful in a little so you will be faithful in much and in the greatest responsibility of all of loving your father well. But in order to carry out this present responsibility, God reminds Joseph through his father Jacob of his past faithfulness. The second stage of, of Jacob's benediction to Joseph happens in the first verses of chapter 48. And tells him, I'm, I'm dying, I need you to bring your sons. And so Joseph shows up with Ephraim and Manasseh. And, and when the, Joseph and the boys arrive, Jacob says in verse 3, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Why does he recite this, Jacob? Why does Jacob remind Joseph of what Anali had heard over and again? Well, I think Jacob is reminding Joseph and his boys of God's covenant promises 
promises that have been made first to Abraham and then extended again to Isaac and then extended again to Jacob. He's reminding them of God's covenant promises to try to emphasize to Joseph that this present, res present responsibility I'm giving you, you can trust that God will enable you to keep it because God has proven faithful over and again. After all, God first told Jacob these things. Where? At, at Luz, at Bethel. Jacob was one man. He was running from his brother Esau who wanted to kill him. He wasn't quite sure where he was going or what kind of reception he would get when he got there. And now, he's, he's more than 70. 70 that were counted. But far more than that, one man becoming a, a host, a multitude of nations with 12 heads of clans. I mean, it's remarkable how God had proven himself faithful to, to Jacob. And Jacob saying, listen, Joseph, I'm giving you this responsibility and I trust that you'll be able to do it, not because you're so good, but because God is so faithful. If he was one of those older Baptist folk that I grew up with as a child sitting there in Virginia, they would have been, he would have been singing at this point, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine and great is his faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord, to me. Great is your faithfulness. You can trust that the God, the God who is with you in the past, he'll be with you in the present as you carry out responsibility. But that's not the only fuel that Jacob gives to Joseph as, as God blesses Joseph through Jacob. No, he also points him to a future hope. And the future hope has to do with these boys in verses 10 to 20. Uh, he blesses uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. In many ways, this is giving of the double portion that belonged to the firstborn. And, and not only has Jacob said, Joseph, you're my firstborn, I'm going to bless your sons and include them in my inheritance so that you're going to have this double portion represented in Manasseh and Ephraim. But when Joseph brings these boys, what happens? Well, he lines them up properly. Manasseh on Jacob's right hand. And Ephraim on, on Jacob's left hand, right hand being the hand of power, the, the hand of might, the hand of blessing. But in a scene that, that, that recalls for us the way that Jacob himself was blessed, he crosses his hands and he blesses the younger rather than the older. He gives the blessing of generations to Ephraim and not to Manasseh. And, and Joseph is furious, isn't he? Uh, the Bible says in chapter 48, verse 17, when, he, when Joseph saw what his father had done, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. He's, he's outraged. He's trying to fix it, trying to correct his father. And his father has to say, no, 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 no. No, the blessing holds. In this instance, the younger is blessed, will be blessed. Why? Because... Because Ephraim is going to be a multitude of nations. Or is going to represent the fullness of God's promise to the nations. Here's a, here's a future hope. That, that this 70 plus that are there in Egypt, protected by the prime minister Joseph, given the right to the firstborn, will be a, a multitude of nations. That was what God had promised so long ago, wasn't it? That's what he had said to Abraham. Number the dust of the earth if you can. So shall your family be. Count the stars in the sky if you can. So shall your offspring be. What is this but yet another iteration of the promise? And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
Let them grow into a mold. Keep your promise. That's the future hope. And these things, they're not true just for Joseph. Not true just for Ephraim and Manasseh. They're true for us as well. You may be here this morning and God is giving you some present responsibility. It may be a responsibility as an individual. It may be a responsibility more corporately in your family or even us as a church. Some, some task that's been given us to do. Some responsibility that you bear and you wonder, how am I going to bear it? How am I going to do this? Well, God's coming to you this morning, having laid this call upon you, this burden upon you. And he's saying, remember my past faithfulness. Look back over the past. Count the Ebenezers, these stones that you've set up in your heart and in your life. You say, well, hither, this far God has brought me. And so I raise up this stone to remind myself that God has proved faithful. And you can count those times where God proved faithful and faithful and faithful over and over again. And that past faithfulness of God towards you is what actually fuels your present responsibilities. But it's also your future hope. Because what are those stones? What does Ebenezer mean? Well, that's right. Stone of hope. A stone of hope. That the God who's proven faithful in the past will prove faithful in the future so that the generations after you will know the name of your God because of your present faithfulness and your responsibilities. That's, that's what God wants to do for you this morning is to take you to the past and point you to the future to enable you to sustain obedience in the present and to take up this calling that he has given to you to carry it out with full energy. And yet that's not the only thing we see here. Not only is God giving good words to Joseph, he also gives good words to Jacob's sons. We didn't read it, but if you were to read chapter 49, verse 1, you'll see here Jacob now calling his sons together. He's ready to die. You see it there in your Bibles, chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. These aren't so much prophecies. They're more divine declarations. They're not wishes. This is actually how God is going to direct their lives. These are authoritative words. And they're shaped to the characters of the individuals. To tell them what will happen in broad strokes. But, but these good words that are, that are geared for, for Jacob's sons, they also tell us something about God and his purpose for his people. Because God is going to accomplish what he says here. If you were to fast forward hundreds of years and the first time Israel heard these words, you know where they would have heard them? Heard them read out loud? On the plains of Moab. About 400 years or so after Joseph's time. And as they look around, seeing 600,000 fighting men and maybe 2 to 3 million people, and they see how it is that Ephraim and Judah are the leader tribes, they begin to understand something about themselves. That, that the blessing of their forefather Jacob, who's called Israel, has proven true, has held true. God's divine declaration has accomplished his purposes. And so as they're hearing these words, they're learning both what God, who God is, but also what God will do. But this isn't true just for them, it's also true for us. Who is God? What will he do? Well, we hear first that God is just. And because God is just, sin is punished. The first three sons that, that Jacob moves to bless are Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And each will be biplassed with blessing. 
for very specific reasons. They serve as examples of God's justice. They're, they're punished. But, but particularly their sin is being punished. They might have thought they got away with it. Reuben sleeping with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi committing genocide as we saw in Genesis chapter 34. And Shechem, but no, God is certain to punish their sin. We see that with Reuben in verse 3, chapter 49, verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. The, the proof that, that Reuben's character is such that he's not worthy of preeminence is the fact that he, he committed sin against his father. His father calls him turbulent or unstable unstable as water the image here is of the of the stream beds in israel they're called wadis sometimes after a rain they rush with water at other times they're bone dry they're they're unstable you can't count on them and so it is with reuben you can't count on him and so the rights of the firstborn are taken away and they've been given to another his sin has been punished but the same thing's true for simeon and levi we see that in chapter 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not to their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Here again, their sin is being punished. They committed genocide out of deep anger. And so what's the result? They'll be scattered. Cursed be their anger, so fierce. Cursed be their fury, so cruel. Now what does all this mean? Well, it's meant to teach us that God is just. And because God is just, he will deal with our sin one way or the other. Either in a way that leads us to repentance or in a way that leads to final judgment. But, but the God whom you serve is a God of justice. He will give to human beings their due. Which means we may think we're getting away with all kinds of sin. We may think that nobody knows. Our spouse doesn't know. Our parents don't know. Our kids don't know. Our friends don't know. Our coworkers don't know. Our elders don't know. Our pastors don't know. We think we're getting away with it. But listen. God knows. And God is just. And it may be now or it may be later. But God will punish sin. Just as he dealt with Reuben and Simeon and Levi, so he'll deal with you and me. We can trust that's the case because this, this God who is just is also the God who is the king. And because God is the king, he is coming. After those first three sons, you come next in, list, in the line to, to Judah. And though Joseph is given the promises in regard to a firstborn, the rights of a firstborn son... I want to suggest to you this morning that Judah is given the best promises, the best benediction. Look at chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine 
and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. What is it saying? Saying, well, Joseph is the firstborn son. I'm giving him those rights. But Judah, from him is a royal line. The long-term leadership role is going to fall to Judah. Certainly, Joseph's brothers bowed down to him, just like he had seen in the prophecy in Genesis chapter 37. Remember the sheaves bowing down to Joseph and the, the moon and the stars bowing down to Joseph? His brothers bowed down to him. But what Jacob tells Judah is ultimately all your brothers, including Ephraim and Manasseh, will bow down to one of your descendants. Indeed, the nations will do so because you are going to be royal. This language of, of the lion being a, of, a, of a royal nature, but then to make it explicit, the signs of royalty, a scepter and a staff that will never depart. A forever king ruling over a forever kingdom is going to come from the line of Judah. And this, this, this coming king coming in, in Judah's line will rule over a world that's, that's, that's abundant and lush. Typically, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, put up your horse or your donkey near something they can eat. You want to put them by a post far away from anything tasty to them. But but this king will put, not worry about that. There's plenty to go around. He'll put them right by the vine, right by the grapes. Let the horses and the donkeys eat as much as they want. And this king that's coming is incredibly handsome. A later prophet will say he's the desire of the nations. His, his, his eyes are dark, incredibly handsome. His teeth are white. He's someone to be desired. His beauty is obvious. Well, who's this talking about? Who is this one who comes in the line of Judah? Who's called the lion of the tribe of Judah? Who's the one who's going to come and be a forever king, ruling over a forever kingdom? Well, it's the Messiah. It's David's greatest descendant. It's, it's Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, we know. We confessed it this morning. Yes, he's human. He's a man. But he's also God. So what God is actually promising Judah here is that the king that is coming, whom we know is Jesus the Messiah, is God in human flesh, is God incarnate. He's coming, and in fact has come, and he's coming again. You see why these are the best promises? It's pretty remarkable that, that, that God will tell Judah, and by extension tell us, God is the king. He is coming and coming again. And this God who is coming as the king, who is just, he is also good. And we see his goodness in the way he sustains us. Jacob runs through the rest of his sons in quick order. Zebulun and Issachar, Dan and Gad, Asher and Naphtali. In kind of a rapid fire succession until he gets to Joseph once again. And he says in chapter 49 verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you. By the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be upon the head of Joseph. And on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. This good word, that 
it says good things for Joseph, but, but I want you to know it's mainly about God. It, it's mainly talking about this God who is the mighty one of Jacob, this one who is the stone of Israel, this one who is the God of your father. And he's saying to Joseph, this is the one who has been with you and will be with you, who's been with you when they've attacked you, who's been at you, been with you as they've shot at you. This is the God who's been with you. Who is this God? Jacob gives a full confession of faith. He's my God. This is my God. He is the mighty one of Jacob. The only time Jacob names God just this way. Here is a remarkable moment in Jacob's life. A powerful affirmation on his deathbed that this God whom he promised to serve back in chapter 27 at Bethel is the God who has proved faithful to him all the way so that now as he stands on the dark river and he's about ready to cross and he, he needs those firm steps to make it to the celestial city, he trusts the fact that, that his God will rescue him because he is the mighty one of Jacob. He is your father's God. It's a fitting way to end a life, isn't it? With such a strong confession and affirmation of this God who has been with him all of his days. But it would be a strong affirmation for you and me as well. That the God who is king, who yes is just, he's also good. He's been our good and gracious God all of our days. And he will bring us safely home. My friends, that, that's what God wants to bless you with. When God gives you good words, when he benedicts you, he wants you to hear him say, my child, I've given you a present responsibility, but, but I will be with you. As times, I was in times past, so I will be in the future. And the generations after you will know their fathers, their mothers, God. Because I am the king. And I am just. But I am good, child. And so go with this good word. Go with this good blessing. That you belong to me, and I am yours. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do bless you. That you would bless us in such a way. That you would, you would declare your good word to us. And give us such mercies. And so, Lord, please help us to leave this place knowing how good you are as our good, just king who has displayed your justice in the cross and in the empty tomb. Now, Lord, as we prepare to ask for your blessing and you prepare to send us with your blessing, grant us your grace, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.